Hey, teachers, before we get started, we have a quick announcement. We're really excited because registration is open for our new summer workshop, Limitless Potential, an Enneagram Roadmap for Educators. One of our highest callings as an educator is to discover and develop potential. We love recognizing an undeveloped strength in ourselves or in our students. We all love witnessing those light bulb moments when we can literally see potential come to life. In this workshop, you will learn about the tool of the Enneagram. You're not just going to learn your type. You're also going to learn the key to understanding yourself and others in ways that will help improve your relationships, communication, classroom motivation and management, and ways to help reduce the effects of trauma. The more we understand people, the more we can change lives for the better. We'd love to see you June 6, 2024 in Dubuque, Iowa. For more details, head to our website at inspiredtogetherteachers.com. Do you ever sit in a meeting and struggle to stay awake? Do you ever find yourself at a family gathering and cringe because the atmosphere is so toxic? Or do you look around your classroom and wonder, what could I do to spark this up just a bit? Today, we're talking about how you can contribute to changing your environments at work and at home. All you need are a few quick guidelines, and we're glad to share them with you. Welcome to the Inspired Together Teachers podcast. We're Paula and Michelle, award-winning educators who've worked with thousands of teachers, and we know the struggles that you face on a daily basis. Do you want to make a difference and still enjoy your life outside of school? Together, we can tackle the overwhelm, gain clarity, and build confidence to live the life you deserve. Are you ready to be inspired? We can't wait to explore ways to improve your work life and home life so that you can live your best life. We have always believed in our power to create an environment to shape the mood of any space that we have, whether it's at work or at home. We believe so strongly in it, in fact, that one of our first episodes on this podcast, number nine, was You Set the Tone. And we talked passionately about how teachers have more power than they think to set the tone for their classroom and their life. Today, we want to expand on that topic and speak directly about the power you have to improve the places and spaces where you live and work, looking at them through the lens of six different paradoxes. We don't want the word paradox to scare you off. So let's get that meaning of that word out of the way right away. Paradox is something that has seemingly contradicting qualities. For example, when you say less is more, hmm, conflicting qualities, or when you say the beginning of the end. Today, our guidelines are about paradoxes because we're going to be looking at that creative energy between two different opposites, sort of like that space that lightning shoots through. If you think about the chaos that's going on in the clouds and then the boring ground where the lightning hits at the end, between those chaotic clouds and the boring ground, that space between them is electric. It's powerful. It's charged. That's where we see the beautiful part of lightning in action. Your daily living and working spaces can be the same way if you can find a way or create that spot between two poles where the charge and exciting energy can live. You can think of it as the tension between opposites. That tension between the opposites is what we call paradoxes. 
Before we get into what the specific paradoxes are that we're going to talk about today, we want to give credit where credit is due. Parker Palmer, who is a writer, a teacher, a speaker, he has helped millions of people around the world live more courageously, more authentically, especially teachers. He is the inspiration for this podcast episode. Michelle and I have long been fans of Parker Palmer, especially his book, The Courage to Teach, Exploring the Inner Landscape of a Teacher's Life. In that book, he gives us these six paradoxes paradoxes we should consider when designing our ideal classroom environments. When he wrote this book, he was talking about classroom environments for these six paradoxes, but we think it's a brilliant idea and it actually applies to our work life and our home life. So we expanded his idea just a little bit. Here's how Parker Palmer introduces the idea of paradoxes in this book. Teaching and learning require a higher degree of awareness than we ordinarily possess. And awareness is always heightened when we are caught in a creative tension. Paradox is another name for that tension, a way of holding opposites together that creates an electrical charge that keeps us awake. Not all good teachers use the same technique, but whatever technique they used, good teachers always find ways to introduce this creative tension. Palmer says, when I design a classroom session, I am aware of six paradoxical tensions that I want to build into the teaching and the learning space. It sounds a little tricky, but it's really not. We're going to share six of the paradoxical tensions that Palmer suggests using to create your spaces. And we'll talk about how they might work in your home life and in your work life. Just a note, when he talks about these, he was always talking about creating learning spaces. But as with most things on this podcast, we apply those ideas to your home life as well. If we can follow the same rules in our spaces outside the classroom and the same kind of positive energy can flow at home too, that's the ultimate for us. So we can apply this to both work and home. Here's the first paradox he suggested. He says your environment, your space should be bounded and open. He describes a space that is bounded and open as an environment where there are boundaries to keep people or ideas from wandering all over, yet still open to the different paths that the learning might take or the conversation might take. This means having an idea of whatever journey it is that you want to embark upon, whether it's in your home life or your school life, that you want to take that bounded part and hold true to that, but be open for those surprises, that open part along the way. It's like when you're planning a trip, you have your tickets and you know where you're going to sleep at night. You have some idea of what you want to do, but you also leave lots of open space to just find those little places along the way that you didn't even know you were looking for. Or as a school example, for me, this means that you have a solid lesson plan, but you're open to taking it in a new direction. If the students come up with some really interesting ideas or they're highly engaged and want to talk about something, you're willing to go there. Parker's classroom example is a lot like that. He talks about taking a discussion around a text. He picks the text. That is the boundary that's going to be discussed. It's going to be about the text. But then he opens up the space by asking students to discuss the text based on information from their own lives. We do that all the time as teachers, but we don't think about that space being bounded and open. And I had to smile when you talked about that idea of going on a trip. When I was in my early 20s, my husband and I went to Washington, D.C. with friends. Our bounded part was we need to be in Washington, D.C. in seven days. We have a hotel. We don't know how we're going to get there, what we're going to do along the way. That was the open part. It was one of the most amazing trips ever because we followed that bounded and open rule. We'd stop at a restaurant. We'd say, where should we go next? We'd ask the waitress or the people at the table next to us. We ended up having chocolate in Hershey, Pennsylvania and seeing a lighthouse in Cape May, New Jersey. We walked the boardwalk in Atlantic City. None of any of that in our plans. 
The boundedness was where we needed to be, but the openness was the surprises and the fun in the journey. That keeps the fun in, and we need fun in our environments. Palmer also said that our spaces should be both hospitable and charged. What that means is that it's an inviting, open, safe, free, trustworthy space. We all want that in our classrooms. We talk a lot about a safe classroom. However, the space should also be a little bit charged so that students don't fall asleep in the comfort. The participants in the space need to not be so safe that they get bored. This is the space where people are exploring real deep topics in the world or their soul for that matter. They know it's a safe place and it is also full of exploration and possibilities, which makes it charged. Palmer's example is making sure students feel safe and then asking them to focus on some hot button issue that really causes them to do some real thinking about themselves or the world. What I like about that is he's saying, don't just introduce hot button topics, but make sure they feel safe enough to discuss them first. I just keep thinking of the lightning example, and there's the hot button, that's the chaos in the clouds, and then the real safe space, that's the ground. But that energy between, if you can find that, it could be so charged. Yeah, for me, it's the idea of shaking things up. You have these comfortable routines. Everyone is used to things, but then you shake it up by using different strategies and unexpected strategies that keep it interesting, that keep it alive, that keep students engaged. When I read this hospitable and charged part again in his book, I was thinking about, ironically, a retreat I went to that was a Parker Palmer retreat. About five years ago, I went to that in Seattle. And first of all, you get there and they make you feel all comfy and warm and you wear your comfy clothes and they have a fire and feel very safe and loved in this retreat. Then they ask you to start digging into these really hard questions about yourself. What is the life you want to live? Are you the person you want to be? People were journaling and crying. It was a profound experience. It was very hospitable. And then they charged us with the really deep questions. As uncomfortable as that part was, I would repeat that retreat in a heartbeat. It was amazing. That's the kind of work that's really good for you that you're really invested in. And we want all of us to have those kinds of experiences in our classrooms and in our homes. The third thing Palmer talks about is that spaces should invite the voice of the individual and the voice of the group. What he means by that is that all the participants in the conversation need to have a chance to express their authentic voice. That's inviting the individuals in. However, if it's going to be a place of learning, there also has to be a chance for the group's voice to be gathered and amplified. Having this group voice provides a necessary point of comparison to affirm, challenge, or correct the voice of an individual. When Palmer talks about this in his book, he's talking about a classroom where you have to reach a group consensus. The students all get to share their individual perspectives, but if you just let them do their perspectives, they're not really learning and pulling together a voice of the group. So he suggests that the teacher is kind of that conduit in between where the teacher listens for what the group is saying, what individual students are saying, pull that together, and then play it back to the students from time to time. I can hear what you're saying is this. I believe what the group is saying is this. We do that all the time as teachers, and we don't give ourselves enough credit. We are pulling together the voice of the individual and the the voice of the group. 
to me, that also means that teachers need to be able to ask questions. And sometimes you have to accept that the answers that you're going to get aren't going to be what you were expecting, that students have their own ideas and their own opinions. You have to be open to listening to that, allowing them to voice that. And then, of course, you can bring the bigger picture to that, or you can summarize it, or in some way you can find a way to break things down and talk about them, put them into a group consensus. I always think about when we're getting ready to go out to dinner. I have a lot of strong-willed teenagers in my house. And I find myself using this when I say, what should we do? Where should we go out for dinner? Everybody gives their individual voice. And then I am the one that brings together the group voice. Okay, so I hear no fast food. I don't hear Chinese, so Chinese is out. I heard three people say Mexican. (laughs) Okay, the majority of people want Mexican. Which Mexican restaurant should we choose? I don't even realize how much I'm doing it until I start thinking about it in this context. We do it as teachers in the classroom, and we do it at home, too. The fourth paradox that Parker Palmer suggests is that the space should honor the little stories of the student and the big stories of the discipline or their tradition. He suggests this so that everyone gets that chance to share their little stories to add to the conversation, but then it doesn't lead into narcissism. It's not just about somebody's little stories or a couple people's little stories. It's about valuing the little stories, but not letting them take over the big stories that are universal or overriding. When I listen to that, Paula, what I'm thinking is that we do this on the podcast all the time. We have a topic. We have some content we want to share. We've read something. We've got the ideas. But as we go, we're always sprinkling in our own little stories, our own little examples, and our own little connections. Those are the things that hopefully bring to life the concepts that we talk about. Palmer says we do this all the time as teachers in a classroom. We help kids tell their stories and listen to other people's stories as they relate to their own lives. But then we at the teachers kind of stand at the intersection of stories that the individuals bring to the classroom and then the bigger stories about the world that they don't understand yet or they haven't been exposed to yet. So, yes, we're hearing what you're saying. And your story is part of a bigger story in the world. And here's what it is. I often think that with adults, too, at work, we've all sat in meetings where one person comes in with their idea. Maybe this is how this new curriculum impacts me. This is how this new situation impacts me. And the first time they tell their story, everybody's listening. Then the next time they say, but this is about me, you can kind of see people in the room starting to tolerate them. Like, this is just a sliver of the big story. I'm tolerating you now. But when they completely make it all about themselves, you can find people looking at the leader of the meeting turn it around. We need to go to the bigger stories too, not just the little stories. And I definitely feel like it's a leader in a meeting sometimes or a teacher in a classroom who needs to be the one in control at that intersection of bringing together one person's little stories and the bigger stories of the world or the larger community. That's a great example. I also experience that often. Number five, Palmer says, is that the space should support solitude and surround it with the resources of community. This particular paradoxical tension recognizes that people need time alone to absorb the information and to meaningfully reflect on it. Schools today, there's so much rush to do so many things and so much content to get through that sometimes that reflection doesn't come through. We feel like we don't have time for it. And we also need that authentic community so that we can be our best. Palmer's example is, he says, I tell my students that as much as I value dialogue, I affirm their right not to participate overtly in the conversation as long as I have the sense and the occasional verbal reassurance that they are participating inwardly. 
This permission not to speak seems to evoke speech from people who are normally silent. We are more likely to choose participation when we are granted the freedom to do so. Personally, when I listen to that, I'm saying, hurrah, I was always very introverted in school. I paid attention 100% of the time. I was very engaged with the ideas. I need time to think and I need time to think before I speak or think before I write many times. And so I often wasn't one to quickly participate in discussions. Sometimes that counted against me. Teachers have checklists, and if you don't comment so many times in class, your grade was penalized for it. And I always thought that was so unfair because I was very engaged with the ideas. I just wasn't quick to talk about them. That's why I always appreciate that think-pair-share approach because I feel like it really takes care of that. The think portion allows the student to have the self-reflection. Pairing is that safe place to discuss with just another person. And then the large sharing, I find, is often done by the people who are most comfortable with group sharing. I have loved that strategy since the day I heard it, and I've used it a million times because I feel like it meets this paradox. It supports that solitude of the individuals while still surrounding people with the combined resources of the whole community. I agree. And it's a great strategy, too, because you can use it with little, little children. You can use it right up through adults in the workplace. It works everywhere with all ages. you got to love a strategy that can do that. The final paradox that Palmer gives us is that the space should welcome both silence and speech. He says this, words are not the sole medium of exchange in teaching and learning. We educate with silence as well. Silence gives us a chance to reflect on what we have said and heard, and silence itself can be a sort of speech emerging from the deepest part of ourselves, of others, of the world. Some of us <laughs> struggle with silence, and I laugh because that's me. In fact, a typical group can handle about 15 seconds of silence before somebody jumps in. Palmer says, really look at this through the lens of the teacher and be mindful not to jump in when there is student silence. He goes so far as to wonder what chances for authentic learning get stopped. They don't get to happen because teachers jump in and break the silence or they allow students to quickly jump in and fill a silence without allowing that silence to happen first. This is what we call wait time. And if you ever remember trying to keep track of wait time when you were student teaching, maybe or something back in the day, you had to wait for 30 seconds or a minute. It seems endless. So naturally, we want to just jump in. So it's really hard for many of us to leave that wait time, that time for students to think, then give them the chance to talk. I will admit that I am one of the people who feel the need to jump in when there is silence in a group. Michelle is much better at this than I am. Michelle, you are an Enneagram five and fives think a little bit more and do better with silence. If you are listening, you don't know what I'm referring to when I'm talking about Enneagram. We just did a special podcast series on it, episodes 34 through 38. You should check that out. But this was a great reminder to really hold that charge spot between silence and speech because I am one of those people that I like to jump in. I'm getting better at this in the classroom, in my book club, in my discussions with family and friends. This is probably the paradox that's the most difficult for me personally to naturally embrace. We all have things that we are always working on. So it's just to be expected. As you can see, we think that Parker Palmer is brilliant. I've actually met him in person. I am not really awestruck in the face of famous people or whatever, but I found myself speechless because I had read his things and it affected me deeply. 
We hope that he won't mind that we've expanded upon his six paradoxes and his ideas and how it could be effective in our home and life spaces, not just in our classroom spaces. So you consider how finding that perfect paradoxical tension could change your environments. We will end with this Parker Palmer quote, the place where paradoxes are held together is in the teacher's heart. Our wish for you is that you can hold these paradoxes in your heart in the coming days, weeks, months, and years in your work and home life. To recap today's episode, you have the power to improve the places and spaces where you live and work by looking at them through the lens of six different paradoxes. You can make your classroom and home environments more enjoyable places by embracing that charged space between any of these paradoxes. In true teacher fashion, we end our podcast with homework. My homework for you today is to pick one of the environments you enter on a daily, weekly basis and see how these paradoxes are met in that environment. If you can't remember the paradoxes, you can go to our show notes and print them out. We won't be grading your homework, but we'd love to know how it's going. So please feel free to reach out to us and tell us. As Paula just said, you can always head over to inspiredtogetherteachers.com where you will find the show notes for today's episode and all of our past episodes as well. You'll also find some other searchable content and blog posts there that will connect you to a variety of teaching issues you might be facing in your life. That's all for today. Class dismissed. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Inspired Together Teachers or head over to our website, inspiredtogetherteachers.com for more podcast episodes, our award-winning blog, and free guides to help you be your best. Until next time, may you be inspired in your work life and home life to live your best life.